ho de ho Alright guys, so back here with another great guest. This is actually take two or three of this because we tried to do this before and you know technology difficulties as always. Um but you make it work. Oh great. Hold on. Okay. Do, 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 do. There we go. Um so I've been trying to find more people, as you all know, and there's people all over the world that are just sitting and waiting to be interviewed. And so, uh, uh, like I said, you got to flip over a lot of rocks and find these people. Um, my next guest is here. Uh, you want to tell us your name and obviously where you're from and just a little about you. Hi, thank you. Uh, my name is Carrie Portell. I live in East Central Missouri, and I am here to talk about my story uh, about being hit by a drunk driver uh, 10 years ago. My, my two daughters and I were hit by a drunk driver. Right. Um, so now we have to pretend like we didn't have this conversation. Um, but <laughs> do you, um, uh, as far as that night, um, what, what do you remember? And obviously, what is it like when you see those headlights? Is it in slow motion or is it just really sped up? It, I, I feel like I remember quite a bit from that night. Um, the problem is, is it's, it's kind of like movie trailers. Like I, I can pick out certain events. It doesn't all flow together consistently, but um, my family has tried to fill in, you know, a lot of those missing pieces, but what I've noticed between my two daughters and I is that they remember certain things that I don't like, they remember all of these sparks flying and I don't remember anything like that. I, I think I was fixated on his headlights, which in my memory seemed like two of the biggest, brightest white lights I had ever seen. Right. Yeah. I said before, like the movies kind of make it look kind of cute. And then like they swerve at the last second and then they're out of there. But um, if it's, if it seems slowed down, it really isn't because it's in real time, but um, yeah. you have less likely to get out of it. Um, so what happened to, before we get to you and your daughters, what happened to all the other drivers in the incident, the one who caused it and then the other people that he hit from what you know? Yeah. So there were four vehicles involved and it, as far as I know, the other two vehicles that were victims that got hit, they were okay. The impaired driver did pass away on impact and most of the impact was with our vehicle and all three of us were injured. My two daughters had moderate injuries and they were able to recover in about six weeks but um, myself, I was, I was injured pretty severely and uh, that impaired driver, he passed away on impact. Uh, did they say why he um, didn't make it? Because he wasn't a big truck and he probably should have been the most safe, but. Uh, right, right. Yeah, he was in a big, big GMC truck. Uh, well, he, he was impaired. His, his blood alcohol level was 0.265, which is three and a half times the legal limit. And out of all four of those vehicles that were involved, he was the only one who was not wearing a seatbelt that night. So, you know, having that many points of impact, um, you know, I, I'm sure he, he had bounced around a lot in that the cab of that truck, but he was partially ejected. 
Ah, gotcha. Um, just like a like kind of off topic, but well, not off topic, but just like randomly thought is like you know I noticed I don't see as many commercials anymore about like drunk driving. Uh, for a while, I was seeing like the ones with the the texting, whereas like someone would send a text and then that was the last text they would get. Um, but I noticed I don't see as many of those anymore. I don't know why. Yeah. I noticed that too. I think that they are really targeting the distracted driving with everybody using their phones right now. And um, it's kind of more the focus, I think, right now than uh, the impaired driving. That, that's what the media, I guess, is concentrating on. Right. And that, I mean, that's fine. But, you know, I mean, look, they both do damage, but I guess the one that is impaired is probably the one that I mean, I guess you can make the case that people are impaired when they're staring at their phone and their eyes are completely off and they're basically blinded to what's going on in front of them. But there is, I think, I mean, I'm, I don't know percentages, but there's more likely that you're going to be okay or, or be able to swerve out of the way. If you can at least look up and you're coherent um, than from someone who isn't coherent at all. And is just blasted on alcohol and is just doing whatever it takes to just get wherever he's getting to. Um, so, I mean, again, they should cover both, but I think it's disingenuous yeah. to not cover, not just, not just because this is the conversation we're having, but in just, in, just overall, uh, you kind of triggered something for me because I'm just like, yeah, I, I don't see commercials anymore about drunk driving and right. it hasn't stopped. So, you know, it's not like an anomaly. It's, it's, you know, it's there. Um, and then there's that stat that came out, like you're more likely to die in a car than an airplane because. Right. Yeah. All kinds of stats. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So what, um, what, what is the damage that has been done to your two daughters? Yeah. So my two daughters, they were able to heal in about six weeks. My daughter who was in the front seat beside me, she had a pretty big and deep seatbelt laceration and, my daughter in the back seat broke her arm. And of course they all had, you know, lots of bruises and some glass cuts and stuff like that. But, you know, looking at the, our vehicle, you would not think that anyone came out alive, much less, you know, that they were, they just had those injuries. Now myself, I had two points of impact. We had hit head on over on my side of the vehicle. And then he had flipped around to have another impact into the side of my door. So I had um, the initial impact head on and, you know, everything coming up and crushing into my legs and, you know, the dash was in my lap. And then whenever he crashed into the side of my door, it then pinned me up against the console in my car and of course caused more bone damage. But again, if you would see our car, you wouldn't think that that is the only damage that I had. You know, I, I didn't have any organ damage. Um, you know, I did have a concussion, but no major brain damage. I had lots of injuries, but the most was definitely, um, the bone damage, the orthopedic. Right. Um, so, so, uh, you know, cause you told me you do have a disability. What is, what is the disability that you have? What, is there a name for it? Well, it is, um, the ones that disable me are my pelvis and both of my lower legs and ankles. So they were crushed. And at this point, I'm a, I say a part-time wheelchair user, but I'm really getting closer to full-time wheelchair user. And it's, 
the damage that was done to my bones, they're just not able to hold my weight anymore. Right. So I, I take around 1700 steps a day. So, you know, the first thing I got to do every morning is, you know, what's my priority? What do I want to use my steps for? And then I have pretty significant nerve damage um, as well. And between those two things, like my, my pain is never ending. Like it just doesn't go away. And there are days that are better. And then there are days that I'm like, you know, oh my gosh, I'm having, I call them flare ups. Cause it just seems to just like flare up and it's kind of a crapshoot on how long those last. I, I, I could only be down for a day or I could be down for, you know, a week to two weeks. It just depends how bad it is. Right. Um, yeah, that's super fascinating. Just, I mean, it's sad as well, but it's fascinating on the step that you never really, I mean, there's people who can't walk and there's people who can, but you don't think about the people in the middle that are like, I got to use my steps carefully. Um, yeah, I'm very confusing to, um, to people. I mean, it's even confusing to me because I am in that middle part. It's, um, I'm not totally disabled. I can still do some things, but if I try to do too much, boy, do I pay for it later. Right. Exactly. Um, wow. Um, so what, what did you like before all this? Like, how did you, cause I mean, you, you, you literally had a near death experience. Um, Mm -hmm. can you, from what you can remember, like, do you, do you feel like your perception of life has changed? And, And if so, like, how was it before? the accident and and after. Yeah, that is something that has been a pretty significant change. And yeah, I was going very fast in my life before this happened. We have four kids that are very close in age and, you know, with them being involved in everything and we were a very active family and to come to a complete halt really messes with you mentally and emotionally. So there was a lot of lessons and growth that I had to go through with that. And, um, I just, I, I feel like the experience, even though it has been the most difficult thing that I have to go through has really enhanced who I am. The, the depth of feeling that I have now is, overwhelming. Like I never knew that I could feel the things that I, I do now and just, I guess, comprehend how much things mean at this point. Um, so that, that has been a really big, I guess, eye opener. Um, and, and I enjoy that part of it. I, I couldn't wish that this never would have happened just because I would have, I, I would lose that part of the lesson. Right. Now, as far as what you mean about feeling, like, can you expound on a little bit more? Like, what is it that you feel more of just like empathy or or what? Yeah, like empathy. And um, when I go and I speak to audiences, like I care so much about them and I don't even know who they are. You know, we don't know each other. It's not like we have a relationship, but I'm so passionate about trying to either either one change their perspective on doing some kind of impaired or distracted driving. Then also if they are facing some kind of challenge that they don't feel like they can make it through, I want to change their perspective on that as well, because life 
is never, ever, ever going to go as we expect it. And every single day, as long as we make a choice in our attitude and, and how we want to react to our situation, that's how you're going to either start surviving. And then once you get past that surviving point, you can actually thrive, even though your circumstances aren't the way that you really feel like they should be. Right. That's in your profile says you're a survivor to a thriver. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, you know, it, it's great because you have to persevere in, in your pain some way. And I think a lot of people, sometimes people make it look easier than it is. Um, like just, just with me as for instance, like, you know, some people will say, well, you don't look blind. It's like, well, I was like, well, I'm not blind. I said, I'm legally blind, which means I can't drive and I'm under the limit of being able to drive, but I can see some and I, I make it look easier than I probably should, but that's just cause I'm stubborn. I'm, you know, I mean, I'm a little hard at it, but I'm also just, I'm wanting to have a better life and I can't do that by sitting in my house crying and, you know, going to get a dog and a cane and all that. Like, I want to see if I can do it without, and I have my whole life. So, um, but I think some people just like with you, like they may see you and you're, you're, you're a pretty woman. You have, you know, nice smile. You're really smart. And it's like, Oh, look, she's great. But it's like, you know, they don't know how much pain you're actually in, whether it's emotionally or physically, especially physically. Um, exactly. Exactly. And I think that um, I truly feel that you're correct in saying that because most everyone only sees a superficial part of your life, you know, they're not in your house and, and seeing all the struggles that you go through and all the pain, whether it be physical or emotional. And that is one thing that I, I feel like the emotional pain is just as difficult to deal with as the physical pain. And, you know, most of the time they're not going to see that part and see how difficult it really is. They just see you when you're out and, you know, nobody wants to see someone who is, you know, a big, Debbie Downer and just always complaining about, you know, how terrible their life is. So you don't do that. You, you try to make the most out of everything. And that's the, that's the part that they see. And they think, man, she's so good at that. She's, you know, doing so well. And for the most part I do, but I definitely have those days where I'm like, man, this is hard. This is so hard to keep going like this. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've interviewed so many people, and I mean, they make me feel better about the stuff I worry about. But, you know, when I interviewed a guy who was paralyzed from the shoulders down, he's running his own company. And it's like, man, but like, you know, he had stories of, you know, I wanted to die. I don't want to do this anymore. And then he ran into someone who was worse, who was paralyzed from the, the jaw down. So where he could move his arms and his hands, he just couldn't move anything below that, where the guy from the jaw could literally only move his mouth and face. And, yeah. and he was cracking jokes with them and saying, Hey man, lighten up. Like, you know, life can get worse. Look at me. Um, and it's like, and then, you know, you know, again, but I, I, I understand it cause I've been in that pain and, and where I just wanted to die or just didn't want to do it anymore. Um, because you know, it is easier to, like, yes, the, the, once you get over the hump of, and again, I've never done it. So people can call me out on that, but you know, once you get over the hump of like, yeah, I don't want to live anymore. And you committed to killing yourself. Then once you do it, like the, the, the easy part is technically over because all your problems go away, but you leave so many problems for everyone else to kind of pick up 
Um, yeah, I feel like you basically just transfer your pain to them. So I, it, I can't, I can't say that, um, you know, those people who, who have those thoughts, it's difficult when you have chronic pain and you just want it to be done, but ultimately you are just transferring your pain to the people who love you because they want you here regardless, you know, they don't want to lose you. Right. Yeah. Um, so what do you like, what do you do for your pain? Cause I know like, you know, it sounds weird, but a lot of people smoke weed, some people with the CBD oil and obviously there's medications, painkillers and all that, but that can be a problem in itself. So is there anything you do for it or you can do? Yeah, I, I feel like taking care of myself, like my pain management is a part-time job because I have to do so many different things. Um, with having bone pain, nerve pain, and then, um, having the traumatic arthritis, I have to do a combination of everything. Um, one is I really need to keep myself moving and flexible as much as possible. So I do, um, Pilates and yoga, um, very, very modified. Everything has to be on the floor. I take extremely hot baths. So, you know, like anybody has a hot tub that that is perfect but you got to get it really hot to really soak into um those bones and i've been getting nerve blocks from my pain management doctor uh every four months and that seems to be helping and um i try not to use pain medicine as much as possible i try everything else before i take a pill because that when you have chronic pain and it's going to be long term you know basically for the rest of your life you really have to watch that line. Um, you've got to be careful with that narcotic use. And then, yes, I, I have um, tried many CBD oils, and I think I finally um, found one that seems to be working very well. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, that's the thing. Like, because for me, like, I, my late, latest problem is, like, I've been having problems with just, like, brain locks, and I just can't focus. My mind is all over the place. And, you know, to find the right, supplement or right anything to get it working um because there's so much crap online that'll just say yeah take this and then you don't even know what you're taking and yeah um and the doctors only want to prescribe you certain things because if they're not going to get paid for certain stuff then they're not going to prescribe you they, you know a lot of these doctors don't even want to prescribe you stuff like cbd oil because you know they don't sell it and you know you can't right. get it in the pharmacy you just get it at some you know tobacco store or wherever right. <laughs> you know a cvs or whatever and so you know, it, it's hard to, it's hard to find like a trustworthy person that's actually steering you in the right direction saying like, look, man, like I'm going through this too. Here's what I take. Uh, and then even if they do that, maybe it won't even work for you. Like you said, CBD oil, like there's so many different ones out there uh, and different milligrams and flavors and so on and so on. Um, and so many ways to take them that it's like, it, it's hard to even really know what's the one that's even going to work for you. Um, right. And then that's where you get, you start trying you know, anything and everything, because it may work for, for, you know, minor pain, but for the pain that you have, it's, I mean, you'll use the whole bottle in such a short amount of time. You can't afford to do that. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very frustrating because you, you know, like for me, I take so many damn eye drops and ointments and so on. And it's just like, now that stuff to prescribe for the doctors, but when it comes to like, you know, I, I kind of, I've been taking care of my mental health through, uh, you know, uh, Zoloft, but it's like, I really want to get off that and I want to be able to take care of it 
naturally and not have to deal with all this stuff. Cause I feel like some of that is part of the mental blockage. And, um, but it's like, you know, but I also have the worry of like my depression is not like, I, I usually have that, you know, it, it comes and goes, but it's the anxiety that is completely stopped because of the medication. So I don't want that to come back because it's so unrealistic um, yeah. and nonsensical that it's like, I just want it gone. And the Zoloft controls that from ever coming out. And so that's my biggest worry, but it's like, again, finding these right things like for you is, is for your pain. It's like, you got to find the right supplement. You go through so much money and so much time and, um, and research online. And it's just like, everyone's pointing you in all these different directions. And this is your life you're trying to fix. Um, and, and it becomes very frustrating at times because you don't really, you don't know who to trust and you don't know what's the most reputable, uh, source. Right. And that's the thing you want it to be, you know, you don't want to take something that's going to hurt you. Um, and you don't want to waste it either. So it's, um, it's interesting because like, you're the, probably the first person who's interviewed me that actually understands what I'm talking about. Cause I mean, unless you live it, you don't, you can't really have that true empathy because you just never experienced it before. Yeah. And like what you were saying earlier, um, you know, just the empathy, like even what you say, like it, it emotionally affects me. Like I'm not bawling my eyes out, but it, it, it hits close to home because I nearly died when I was a kid. And, you know, and like I said, I deal with stuff every day. Um, you know, it started when I was four, but like, I still have pain from it. And, you know, you, you got the thoughts and you got the, you, know, you just got a lot of things just floating around and your know, life is impacted through your disability with me, with my eyes. And it's like, you know, but in a positive way too, because I, I say that it humbles me too, because there's never a day that I wake up and I just go like, ah, you're too good for this world. Never. <laughs> because as soon as I, even when I, and I, and I can laugh it off too, because there's times where, you know, I'm sitting on the couch and I'm like, and my TV, you know, the audience can't see, but we're on camera. My TV's way over there. And it's like, and, and I'm actually sitting next to the couch right now. And it's like, there's times where I'm like, I'm going to watch a movie from back here. And then like, ah, oh, you idiot. You can't see from over here. What are you doing? Go over there. And it's like, yeah. it's, it's just a little like trigger to go like, oh, okay. Stop being stupid. And, and, and just remember that, you know, uh, life can be silly and, you know, it can throw you off, but remember you're back to who you are and just go watch a movie over there and, and act like, you know, cause people will look at like my computer when it's all zoomed in. And it's like, how do you live like that? It's like, I don't know. It's just, I'm used to it. I made everything it's acclimated to my lifestyle. Yeah. It's your new normal. So that's what it becomes. Right. And you that, know, and, and, yeah, no, I'm sorry. Um, it, and that's why I kind of laugh at all these people that are freaking out about the COVID thing, because it's like, people are like, Oh my God, like it's a, how do we get used to this? And again, I hate the mass. I hate all this crap. I really do. But it's like, it's funny because like I've, I've lived a lot of my life indoors and it's like, you're just getting acclimated to my life. Um, I'm doing right. I'm being more active yeah. and proactive in my life now, but it's like, you people are complaining that you get to spend time with your families. And, and like, I, I live alone. I live with my cat. So you guys, you're sad about all this, but it's like, man, like be happy, like take care of the people that are out there. And, and, you know, like I said, it's, everything is worse. So, you know, it just, it's all about perspective. That's for sure. Yeah. And, and that's why I said the people with disabilities are the ones that usually have a different perspective. We have the ones with the empathy and the ones that are care for people that are going through some things. I mean, most of us, not all of us, um, we're less self-centered because we are going through something. And when we hear someone going through something else, even if we can't completely comprehend, uh, you know, like, I don't know what it's like to be deaf. I have very good hearing, but 
I can imagine because I know what one of my senses is like when it goes down and, um, you know, and I'm with you like chronic pain. Like I I've had a lot of pain over my life and, you know, like all my skin burned off at one point, it's excruciating pain. Um, just like, as, as like a side note, like wh what do you say when a doctor asks you, like when you actually have, let's just say you have another problem. I don't know, you're vomiting or whatever. And a doctor goes, you know, from one to 10, you know, what's your pain? Because I, I always give a sarcastic answer because it's like, look, to answer this question, I have to say nine or 10 for you to treat it. But for me, skin burning off is a 10. So right. whatever I'm dealing with right now is not a 10. It's not even in the same ballpark. So obviously the physical pain that you go through is a, probably a 10, but you know, going through vomiting or whatever is probably a three in, in the grand scheme. Of right. Things. It's nothing compared to, I, I talk about that a lot is, um, you know, our pain scale is completely different from a normal person's pain scale. And anytime that they would ask me that I, I would say, okay, on my pain scale, I'm feeling like it's a six, but if a normal person would have it, it's probably, you know, an eight or a nine. Right. And, um, Luckily, I stick with all the same physicians, so they know my case, you know, forward and backwards. So they they understand, and they'll just tell me, you know, we need it. We need you to say it's this number so that we have, um, I guess, the criteria, like you said, to treat you the way that you should be. Right. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things I wanted to ask you, like, and I pretty much know the answer probably, but are you? Are you happy because you're as a, as a mother, are you happy that what happened to you didn't happen to your daughters and it happened to you instead? Yeah, I, I have been asked that a lot. And I think that is part of the reason why I've handled it as well as I have, because as a mom, you always want to take the brunt of everything. Um, you know, I couldn't stop this from happening. I couldn't stop them from getting hurt. Now I did everything that I possibly could apparently um, when we were in the vehicle to try to avoid it. But if they had been hurt worse or, you know, if one of them had been the person to die in the car crash, I, I can't say that I would be as humble as I am because I don't, I don't know that. Um, I hope that I would have had as good as attitude that I, I do today um, regarding myself, but I think there would probably be a little bit more bitterness if one of my children had been hurt the way that I've been hurt. Right. Well, I think your inner mom would come out even more because a lot of moms that I've interviewed who, or a lot of people I've interviewed and I talk, asked them about their moms about, you know, like, especially if it's a, uh, something from birth, um, you know, yeah. your, usually the parents usually have this guilt especially the mom guilt towards you know oh did i create this is this the reason why you're you can't walk or hear or whatever um but with yours you did everything you could and really that i mean there were some bruises and you know some breaks here and there but in general like they end up being okay um yeah. and you know and then yeah i'm sure like i said it's much better for you just mentally just to know that they're fine um because again, that gets, you bring them in this world, you're there to protect them. Uh, Absolutely. And so you did what you could and, you know, cause I think, and again, even, even if obviously thank God it didn't happen, but if one of them were to die or something bad happened to them in that incident, it isn't your fault because again, you weren't intoxicated and you still tried to do everything, but I'm sure you probably would have had some sort of thoughts of like, what could I have done differently? Um, but 
you know, I guess in some ways it all came out for the best, I, I guess, um, for them anyway. Yeah. Right. Right. I, I agree that it came out the best because I'm, I'm bearing the brunt of that and they get to, to go on. And I feel like that is the way that it should be. Has that made your, I mean, I don't know your relationship with them, but I'm assuming you're close, but has that made the relationship with them closer? Cause you said you have four kids. Um, I, you know, we definitely share something um, that most children and parents don't share. Uh, they were 10 and 12 whenever it happened. And then our other two were eight and 13, I guess. Um, you know, we, we definitely all share something different, but kids are kids, you know, they, they're pretty resilient. Um, they went on to be normal teenagers and, um, they are definitely more cautious, I think, than, than the normal teenager, but, uh, you know, it's, I, whenever any of us start to talk about it, it takes us right back to that moment and things feel very raw. And I, I am the one who talks about the most, obviously, uh, because I share, but anytime that I see our kids talking about it, I mean, it's, it's an immediate emotional trigger for them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, how are they now? Um, now they are 19, 21, 22 and 23, wow. 24. <laughs> I'm, sure. I'm sure that's a They're crazy. They're bam, bam, bam. <laughs> Right. Well, I, I think because I, I, you know, I talked to some of my friends who have kids and they're, they're older and it's like, it's got to be crazy to have kids that are, you know, in high school or college and, you know, now they're in their 20s and borderline 30s and all that. And it's like, oof, um, yeah. I don't have yeah. any. Yeah, the relationship definitely changes. Like once they get out of high school and they start going through college, um, the relationship changes and it's it's entering a different phase, which I am enjoying so much. Right. Um so how has your family been, not just them, but not just those two, but has your family been just in supportive of your, your situation? Oh, they, they have all been absolutely fantastic. Uh, it has been very hard on them because I've had 13 major surgeries and, you know, every time mom comes home, it is, it's not a six week recovery. It's more like a six to eight month recovery for each one. So you know, having mom basically this whole time, you know, watching her heal from, from these surgeries is difficult for them because every time I, you know, how, how many ball games or school functions that I've attended and I'm either in a cast or air boot crutches, wheelchair. I mean, it's just one thing after another. So for them, you know, that's, that's gotta be hard to constantly see your mom in pain and always recovering and just never getting to be normal and just live. Right. But they're all of the age of, of knowing, like, it's not like they're very young. Yeah. And they, like they, they, they'll pick up on the idea of like all the sacrifice that you're putting in because you, they would be under, I'm sure they'd be very understanding if you just stayed home, but you don't. Because yeah. You yeah. And if they're getting to the age now that whenever they look back on things, they're going to look back and go, man, that was a really, really difficult time for our family. And we made it through where a lot of families, uh, they, they don't, you know, the stress and the pressure just become too much. And we were lucky enough that we, we stuck like glue. I mean, sometimes we were holding the pieces together, but we stayed. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, how, do, how does that mentally work or how does that like, 
uh, fixture in your mind where it's like, you know, usually the mom is supposed to take care of the kids. And a lot of time now it's the kids taking care of you a lot. Um, obviously you gotta be grateful for how they grew up and, you know, obviously you t- play a huge part in that, but how does that like sit or sit on you mentally as, as just kind of, you've kind of reverse roles. Right. That is like, you want to talk about mom guilt. That is something that, I mean, even to this day, even though they take care of themselves, that guilt of they didn't get the mom that they were supposed to have all those years because I was the mom who was out in the front yard playing all the games or, um, you know, doing whatever we needed to do. And most of the time I was either in a hospital bed or, you know, on the couch with my feet up trying to recover. And that guilt that basically that time has gotten stolen from us. Um, you know, and I, I know that the whole thing is, life's not fair. And I, I realize that, but that's probably my one thing that I am a little bit resentful of is, is that time got stolen from us. And it's not like you can get it back or, you know, or make it up. I mean, once it's gone, it's gone. So you just have to move forward and, you know, do the best that you can with the time that you have left. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of us just, I mean, you know, we're still young enough, but a lot of us tend to just completely, I don't know. We just ignore the things that are like we could, you know, like I said, with 2020, like people just should have taken care of each other. We should have just looked out for each other. And so a lot of this crap wouldn't have happened. Like, for instance, like, you know, statistics of domestic violence and child abuse went up because people were living with each other and they just had it. Um, But again, like that's the stuff that shouldn't have happened. Like the stuff that should have happened is we all look out for each other and make sure everyone's doing okay. Look out for the elderly in our family or the sick people, the people with weaker immune systems and stuff like that. And just, just check on people in general, people that we've, you know, whatever exes or people that we went to school with or, or whatever, just check on the people that we still can connect with. Um, and we still got to try to enjoy the time that we have with everybody, because again, you know, your kids are now all in their twenties and they're, they're all, you know, going off and they're dating and they're doing all these things. And it's like, it's harder to have family time and all that, but it's like, you still have it. They're still alive. And, you know, I think sometimes we, we so focused on the past and it's like, Oh, how it used to be, but it's like, clearly it's never going to be that way. And at some point something was going to change for one of you or a couple of you to where that wasn't going to happen anymore anyway, but it's just, it happened this way. Um, So so you just kind of got to, I mean, your life took a, a turn, but it's like, you got to figure out how to, you know, again, like with, you know, with our lives, everything we have to acclimate it to our lives with the change things. So we got to go with what's going, we're going in that direction. We just got to figure out how that direction suits us for everything else. Um, and so it's just like, just be happy. They're all alive and happy and healthy. And, you know, again, of course, and, you know, like I said, you're still going to have your guilt. You're still going to have your, you know, depression and stuff over it. But again, you still have a, a strong family bond, which, you know, as you can see, most people out here don't have. Um, right, right. And I, that, that's been the foundation with my husband and I, our relationship is that regardless of what is, what else is going on, like family is the most important. And that's what we concentrated on was in, instead of like, even though we were under so much stress, instead of pushing each other away, we tried to pull everybody in. Now our kids at that age didn't always like that, but my husband and I knew that to keep our family together and whole, that we had to stay together and whole. And it's, it was a hard 
I guess, road to travel. Um, and we navigated it. I mean, we just took such little steps. Um, instead of trying to, you know, rush to the end, we just tried to do it in, in smaller steps. So each time that we would have a goal or, you know, a bend in the road, you know, something that was unexpected, we just, we had to take it as it was and say, okay, well, how do we navigate now? Because no matter what, we're staying together. Right. No, that's, that's kind of, I mean, that makes it easier to get out of bed. Um, yeah. You know, obviously for you, like it's, it's not as easy. Um, me, it's more mental than it is physical. Uh, and again, I'm sure mental plays a part, but I mean, I don't have as much chronic pain as you do. So, you know, the, the mental part is what really actually can, you know, I guess metaphorically yeah. cripple you to the point where you don't want to get out of bed. And if you have a husband and kids to wake up to every day, the pain is probably a little more manageable, even if it is just got awful. It's like, okay, you wake up and you have a husband next to you smiling and it's like, okay, like it, it kind of puts things in a little more perspective, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And it helps like you're not, you know, you're not alone because obviously like that's one of the biggest problems with our, with the disabled community is that a lot of us feel like we're so alone and, you know, and, and we don't know how to kind of connect with others. And a lot of us don't even really want to venture out because we kind of stay to our own disability. We don't even stay, we don't like venture out the blind, the deaf can come together or paraplegic right. forever. <laughs> We're so scattered and segregated that we don't even really know who's out there. So we just immediately assume that we're all alone and we don't, you know, and it's like, no, like there's plenty of us, but with you, like you have a family that can keep you grounded and just real. I mean, even though they probably don't know half of what you really go through, at least on the physical right. level they can, you know, they have a love, love and care for you that, you know, they're going to be there for you regardless. Um, yeah, they were definitely my reason every day. And, you know, all the time, if, you know, when I was alone during the day, I would think, man, this is just, it is so hard. I just don't know how much longer I can do that. Whenever my um, kids would, you know, come in off the school bus or my husband would come in from work, it was just like, I, I don't know, there was something inside of me that, that was my hope. That was my why. And that was the highlight of my day. And I thought, well, gosh, why? I can't give up on that. I mean, that's, I love that. So they were definitely the reason that I kept fighting um, to get to the point that I'm at today. Absolutely. Um, well, what is it like to have the realization of like having a husband that stuck with you through all of it? Because there's a lot of people that would just have ran. Uh, oh, yes, they would have. I, I tell him that all the time. I stroke his ego and he always tells me, he's like, Carrie, you don't have to do that. I love you. You know, I'm going to stick no matter what, because that's what we're about. And just because you have these disabilities now, it doesn't mean that I stop loving you. And um, I tell him all the time, I'm like, you know, a lot of spouses, they they would have you know, bolted, they, they wouldn't have wanted to deal with all of this um, because it is, it's never going to end is the thing, you know, it's like, you think, okay, once you're healed, we're done with it, but this is never going to end for me, which means it's never going to end for him either. And I, I am so grateful for him. And I know sometimes it gets hard to watch me when I'm in pain like that, and I tell him, you know, I'm sorry. I, I, yeah, cause I hardly ever complain about it, but you know, when someone's with you often enough, they can tell just by your demeanor or the look in your eyes that you're not feeling well that day. And, um, I just make sure that I tell him how much gratitude I had for him. Um, 
during that time and now. And even though he says he doesn't need to hear it, I think it probably feels good that he does hear it from me. Um, and I need to say it. I need to tell him how grateful I am, um, along with everybody else, you know, because we we have a whole community that has supported us through this entire journey and um, just telling them how much it does for my heart is I don't know. I just, I just need to tell them that. And I try to pay it forward every chance that I get. Right. No, that's awesome. Um, so do you, do you have any sort of like light at the end of the tunnel that you hold on to? Cause I think everybody with some disability has like where maybe if you're paralyzed, you maybe feel someday you're going to walk or with me, like, you know, there's surgeries that are out there maybe that can correct some of my vision. Uh, is there anything like that, that you're holding on to that maybe, you know, whatever you, you yeah. do. Probably the only thing that I, I don't put too much faith in it um, yet, but they, they have started ankle replacements, um, maybe I think around 12 years ago, and they have started to do them on patients as young as me now, but my injuries are so severe that ankle replacements, like the technology is not advanced enough for my condition. So at some point, I, I am hoping that it does become advanced enough and that it actually works for me because mine's not just the ankle, it's, uh, it's the lower leg as well. So, um, you know, I have asked about amputation and they're like, Harry, you just don't want to do that. It's it, one, it's not going to help the neuralgia, but there's just, if you keep holding on, we think technology will advance enough that you won't have to lose your limbs. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm kind of in a limbo and just kind of waiting. In the meantime, I use my wheelchair for most everything to, to try to keep the pain down because activity and pressure on my ankles definitely does make it worse. But, um, you know, I, a person who is paralyzed would probably get so angry with me because the only thing that they want to do is to be able to feel. And there are days when it is so bad, like the pain is just so severe that I have thought maybe it would have been better that I would have been paralyzed because then I wouldn't feel this pain every day. But then whenever I have good days, I gotta, you know, I, I eat my words because I'm like, oh my gosh, today I can actually do something, you know, I can get up and I, I can walk out to my car. And, you know, at this point I, I can still drive without controls um, and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a double-edged sword and you just, it's, that's the thing that messes with your mind a lot. And you just got to try to keep as stable as possible. Right. No, I, I thought about that earlier when you were talking about going through your pain and I'm like, it almost seems like it'd be better if you just didn't feel that part of your body. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think people, I, you got to take everything to me case by case, because it's like, if you put everything in, in like the grand scheme of things and you, you put it all into one, you know, ball of whatever, and you just say, okay, yeah, like, obviously we all would love to be able to walk and you can walk some and they can't and it sucks. But to a certain degree, it is good that they don't feel that pain. And to some degree, it is good that, um, you, you know, you can feel, but then there's the yeah. other side of it, where it's, you know, it sucks that you can feel and it sucks that they can't, it, it's, it kind of goes both ways. And it's like, it you guys, just, that's why you have to have the empathy and the understanding and, and take case by case and just go, okay, like, what is this person going through? And okay. Yeah. Like, 
I can see how you could feel that way. I, mean, I think we're, we're in such a time now where everyone is so offended about everything and so sensitive about everything. But it's like, if you just listen and just try to understand and put yourself in other people's shoes and not, you know, how you would deal with it, but just think how it could affect you and, and look at what they're going through and listen to them. Uh, and again, that's one of the huge problems nowadays. No one listens to each other. Everyone just kind of just goes, okay, wait till you're done. All right, my turn. Or they just plow over you. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, like I could clearly understand both sides of it. Um, and, you know, like I said, it, it sucks that you have to go through what you're going through regardless, but it sucks that someone can't go through what you're going through. Like in a way it's right. You know, it, double lid scored all the way around. Right. But again, like I said, it's the stuff that humbles you. It's the stuff that kind of, you know, the fact that you can understand that and just go like, okay, like, I don't want to bitch about this too much because I know there are people that can't feel their legs or their, their spine or anything. And I'm sitting here bitching about my legs hurting. And it's like, yes. the fact that you even think about that to even care about it when you don't really need to, um, yeah. Is, yeah. Is, is, the, is the good part of it. Like that's what makes Yeah. I feel like every once in a while I need to just put myself back in place. Um, because I, I do have friends who are paralyzed and they would give anything to be able to walk. And in their minds, they would give anything, even if it was to feel the pain that I have. And I'm trying to tell them like, you don't want to feel the pain that I have. So it's, um, you always want what you don't have, you know? Right. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, your life, regardless of how hard your life is, your life is easier than some. Um, but there's plenty of people, you know, you're on the lower scale of people being below you. But if you want to look at it that way, but in general, it, it's just, like I said, we got to take everything as relative and just look at it like, okay, like, yeah, like there's other people that are going through worse and there's nothing wrong. And again, but that's the thing. Sometimes we kind of see other people that are worse than us. And then we forget about like, oh, like our stuff is still valid. Like we still have problems. Like we still have the right, right. to complain and, and feel and so on. So it, it, it goes both ways. It's just, I don't know. Like I said, you just got to have an open mind to others and what they're going through. Um, and it's hard because again, you, you, you are going through something traumatic. Um, do you, do you have any kind of just like off top, like, do you have any kind of like PTSD from like being in a car? Um, I, I do. It, it doesn't come all the time, but, uh, whenever I see anyone getting close to that center line, I mean, immediately like my chest contracts because I, I know that it can happen in the most random spot and at the most random time. And it could happen, you know, within a, a snap of a finger. So there are times whenever that happens or um, because our, our car crash happened when it was dark. If I see uh, if somebody hits their brakes really fast and those taillights come up to me, I, I will have flashbacks. And every once in a while, I, if I get fixated on headlights coming towards me, it throws me back into that night of the car crash. And those are very scary moments for me. Um, you know, and I consciously pull, pull myself out very quickly. Um, but just knowing that I can go back there that fast, it's, uh, it's anxiety filled. Of course. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, so a lot of times towards the end, I like to like ask people who, you know, kind of give their, I don't know, some motivation to others, like for people who are kind of, it doesn't have to be someone going through the same problems as you, but if you want to, that's fine too. But just someone who's kind of going through mental, physical, whatever, some sort of pain and, and they're, 
you know, they're kind of in the middle somewhere, somewhere they're struggling of wanting to live, to survive, and wanting to just even persevere at all in life, even if they want to survive, but just kind of fade away and just not be known. Uh, do you have any advice for like the people that are just struggling? Um, yeah, I, I like to tell people that if they use the support around them, and I, I want to like really emphasize that they need to get positive support and not someone who one is just going to tell them what they think they want to hear or, you know, go into the negative of their situation. They need to have someone that is going to truly like tell them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. Um, if you use that support system and then every single day you have to make a conscious decision about what kind of attitude that you're going to have. And that, that is me. Those two things are my go-tos because if I wake up and I'm not feeling well and I automatically give in and just, just you know, when you get that nasty attitude, you can just feel it and nothing goes well when you have that. And then of course that's contagious. It, it starts to filter into everyone around you. Um, you, those two things you have to do on a daily basis. And eventually you will get to the point where you're like, okay, I, I know I can get through this now. I got through that. And every day that you get through, you have 100% success of surviving your challenges. So just continue to do that. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And, and like for you and for others, like I think some people tend, if you have a support system, you should kind of lean into them because a lot of them, a lot of people tend to just kind of go off the grid and just don't want anyone to, you know, acknowledge them or, or just see them how they are. But it's like, this is why we have friends and family and, you know, you, you really yeah. can't do it alone. And a lot of times when you're stuck with your own thoughts, that's when it gets really bad because your the brain could do Absolutely. a lot of crazy tricks and, and send oh, you to a whole definitely. other places. Um, yes, definitely. I just actually launched a book um, that I, I go through my first year of recovery. I had four years of recovery and it, I, I was very, vulnerable and raw and real in it. And I, I feel like I told it how most authors probably wouldn't, you know, most would glaze over and just give the superficial. And I felt like I just went into the realism of a situation like this. So if that can help someone, um, just reading how terrible that first year was and then seeing me 10 years later. And though, even though things are not perfect, things are not absolutely wonderful, you know, as, as part of my physical self, that anything that they're going through, if they just take the same steps, they can, they can survive and then start to thrive just like my family and I have. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, just like real quick, did, uh, you know, like you said about being raw, like, uh, what, what do you, like, what's your take with like, with mental health? Like, how did, how did you deal with yours? And, and, um, I don't know. Cause I feel, I feel like it's something that's not discussed enough. You know, I always say like the one right. time people want to talk about it is when a kid shoots up a school, but that's just so right. they can use it to talk about guns. It's not really to talk about mental health. Um, but it's always been something super important to me because it's like, when you have a disability, it's automatically connected. You're going to, I mean, I think we all have it regardless, like everyone, but it's, it's just the amount that you have, but when you have a disability and you're constantly in pain and, and whatever, uh, you're going to have some form of it. Um, so how, how did you, you know, deal with yours? 
Uh, well, one, mostly I talked to my husband, which he, he's like a natural born coach. So he was fantastic at it, but sometimes I just felt like I, I needed to give him a break. And I also sometimes didn't want to tell him the thoughts that were in my head. So I journaled everything out. And the thing about journaling is you can say whatever you want to, and you don't have to worry about any kind of repercussions. You don't have to worry about hurting anybody's feelings. You can just puke it out. And that helped significantly. And, um, you know, later on when I was actually able to get out of the house and everything, um, you know, seeing some kind of counselor to get an outside perspective on things, you know, someone who's not emotionally involved in the, in the situation, it really benefited me as well. Right. No, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I think we, I think we kind of covered everything we needed to. Um, honestly, I thank you very much for doing this. Uh, yeah, I guess you're a really awesome person. I'm happy we connected. I hope we stay in touch. Um, I am too. I was going to ask you that if you would like to connect over like social media and stuff and that way yeah. we can follow each other. Yeah, please do. Like I said, uh, when I when uh, when this episode does come out beforehand, I will ask for your book and I'll put it in the description and all that. And, okay. Um, but yeah, I think uh, we need to, not just you and I, but people with disabilities and just people going through a struggle, we need to support each other more because... You know, we can't, we, we can't keep looking, waiting for able bodies or whoever to come save us. The reality of it is like, we are the voice. And if we, we don't put it out there, no one's ever going to hear it. We're not going to keep people alive and we're not going to, you know, we, we, we need more of us. There's just not enough of us out here doing it. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm very happy that everything turned out the way it did for you as far as being able to, you know, thrive through it. Uh, obviously you're everyone in your family is okay. Uh, you know, it sucks that you're going through pain, but again, you know, we all got something to deal with. We um, do. I mean, everybody has something to deal with and that's what I tell myself all the time. Yeah. But yeah. It was super nice to meet you. I'm glad we finally got to get connected. Yeah. Um, let me see here.